Hello and welcome to the Future of Coding. This is Steve Krauss. So today I have my friend Jonathan Lung here and um, we're actually in the same physical space, which I think will be rare for this podcast. So um, to tell you a bit about Jonathan, Jonathan and I met at Penn where we were both studying computer science. Uh, at Penn, Jonathan worked at the Duckworth Lab with Angela Duckworth. He was also an early lead organizer of PennApps, the University of Pennsylvania Hackathon. Um, Jonathan has been teaching and mentoring students in computer science and other subjects for, for a number of years. He was a teacher at All Star Code, All Star Code in New York and General Assembly. He was a former founder of Hack Club, and he was a for his work there. He uh, was a Forbes 30 Under 30 member. Uh, he was also the original creator of the Learners House, which is a retreat that I've been on with a number of friends. Uh, it's a really fun thing. Uh, uh, other things Jonathan has done, he was he worked at Perceptual Networks, Gobbler. Um, he recently was a part of the School for Poetic Computation, where he did some he had some interesting projects that we might get to talk about here. And now he currently lives in Brooklyn. So welcome, Jonathan. Thank you so much, Steve. It's exciting to be here. Cool. So it's actually exciting to note that the last time I was here at Steve's place was uh, for Hack NY, where we built a hack to. Um, let you modify emails that you send after you sent them. Yes, uh, that was a fun. Yeah, we went to yeah we went to Hack and Why. That was a fun kind of emotional hackathon. We got third place, Woo. which was which was exciting <laughs> for me at the time. Uh, so yeah, so I guess the reason uh, I thought it'd be really great to interview you is um, over the years we've had a lot of really wonderful conversations about interfaces and the future of programming, the future of design, and. Um, yeah, they've always been fun and interesting conversations, so I thought we would have one of them here uh, and have our other people listen and be able to contribute to, to our thoughts. Mm. So, um, let's see. Where, where do you want to start? Up to you. All right. So, one of the really interesting conversations that we've had, we had a while ago was about designing on principle, inventing on principle, which is in reaction to Brett Victor's talk, Inventing on Principle. And so at the time, I was building a system. I was trying to build a, a programming language. And I was trying to like apply Brett Victor's advice in a pragmatic way. Like, I was, like what principles are the ones that I'm trying mm. to design on? And so Jonathan uh, came over, and we spent a long time talking about the principles. And I, what was really helpful to me was there was a, a number of times when you said oh, that's not, not abstract enough of a principle. Mm. That's, that's more of an implementation detail, the principle. Mm. You, know, the, mm -hmm. you like kind of pushed back on some of my principles and, and like asked me to, to, to come up with better principles. So, so I, I pulled up this list of principles that I'm going to have a link to in the notes. Um, it was a list of principles for the product I created, Cycle Version 2, which I, I talked about in my last podcast. So to, to remind you, Cycle Version 2 is uh, something I built in Blockly, so it's basically blocks for React.js or for, J for um, Vue.js. So it's declarative blocks for um, making web interfaces. And so, um, so, I have, so we have this list of principles pulled up. And I guess maybe we'll just run through them really mm -hmm. quick and, and see what ideas they spark. So the first principle I have is accessible to create, view, and update anywhere on any device. And then the, uh, underneath that, the two bullets are... Uh, built for the web and mobile friendly. Hmm. What do you think about that as a principle? Yeah, the first thing that comes up for me is, is less about probably less about questioning the intention there and more about 
language around um I took an information communication technology or yeah, information communication technology for development course and thinking about like like first world, uh, not first world. Um, and like the thing that strikes me there that's just kind of a small thing is like uh, there's an assumption that any device is connected to the internet, which is like predominantly true for in like the US, but isn't necessarily true. So maybe in explicitly saying but, but maybe like you're okay like maybe the intention is it's on any device and not necessarily the internet but the sub bullet points are built on web um so i'm curious like what it would it would it feel more accurate to explicitly say on internet or mm, instead of on any device uh-huh. yeah i think you're right um on any device and internet connected device or something yeah I, I think you're right internet connected device is what i meant cool that's good feedback all right so let's move to the next one the next bullet is prerequisites built in in a micro world. So there's no user manual. You learn how to use the system just in time. And so there I'm, re- I'm kind of referencing Seymour Papert's notion of a micro world, which is a, a very intuitive place where, ki- where, where chil- he, he designed them for children, but where people can learn how to use the system as a natural extension of their curiosity and exploration. So in the same way that you and I, we all learned how to speak our native tongue just by naturally saying words and listening. Like, can we all learn how to use interfaces in that same way? Uh, and so examples of, of these micro worlds would be the logo programming language that Seymour came up with and or the scratch programming language. Those are good examples of micro worlds. Um, so underneath this, this prerequisites built-in bullet, I have types represent shapes, which is something I've talked about before and I have blogs about that I'll link to. And, and also the idea of, of good abstractions like first-person coding, messages, and event metaphors. Yeah, like if, I think the the idea of the micro world here feels the most resonant is what you're what, what it occurs to me as you're trying to say. Um, where like the idea of the micro world is like this world where anyone can just play in and just do stuff without having to deal with BS. So like when you're trying to learn to code now, like. It's like, oh, like I have to get my like text editor and like install this package. Oh crap, I can't install on this package until I install this like other package and like there's this entire rabbit hole of like you can't even start. So like a micro world is a place where like shit just works. Um, I think the feeling of like shit just works is the thing that's trying to be captured in this principle. Is that kind of the Yeah. I think the shit just works is a, a big part of it. Um, yeah, the shit that that's a good that's a good Point. I think this is more specifically that it's built in a way that's intuitive and learnable. Got so it. Like the metaphors are, are good. Okay. Um, the shit just works, I think, is like a separate bullet point um, that, uh. that, that I think about, too. Okay, so it's, it's, it's less about, like, this stuff is working and more about, like, your knowledge of how to use the stuff is, like, obvious. Kind of in yeah. a way that, like, like, you don't really need to read an instruction manual on Legos. It's like... Yeah, You're just like oh, okay, just like snap them together. And exactly. Make, make. So, like the idea, like um, having to explain what a closure is or what a type uh, is. Okay. Like all, all the words. If you went to get a degree in computer science, or if you wanted to learn the Java programming language, for example, I'd have to teach you fifty different words. Like ignoring the syntax, I'd have to teach you like fifty different words and concepts, mm-hmm. like switch statements. If like there are all these things, when you learn the Scratch programming language, I teach you nothing. Mm-hmm. You just immediately go and connect the shapes and drag out. and drop. You don't have to learn the word boolean. You just know that hexagonal yeah, shapes. Yeah. 
Arbulians and hexagons go inside hexagons. So it's like if you walk in, it's like the the distinction is like if you walk in, if a, if someone who doesn't know how to cook walks into a kitchen, they're like, the heck is that machine thing there? They don't know yeah. what that is. As opposed to like someone walking into like a children's play arena center thing where like yeah. there are ball pits. Oh, I can like jump in or like uh, I can like oh yeah, there are these hoop things in the air. I can like lift the. I can like hold myself up with my arms in those things. Yeah. It's like the affordances are obvious. Yes. Um, so I wonder, like, to me, the explicit wording of prerequisites built in mm. doesn't capture that for me because it's like unclear which prerequisites. Um, and like, like, it, yeah, I could interpret that as like, like software prerequisites. Mm, I see. Um, but I think the way that you're thinking about it is in terms of like classes. Like this class has no prerequisites. Mm, yes. Um, Knowledge prerequisites, not software prerequisites. Yeah, and 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 the term itself sounds almost like a. Even though it doesn't say it's a negation of something else, it sounds like a negation. Like. It's saying like this course requires no prerequisites. I almost want to hear hear it in a positive as opposed to a negative, um, hmm. uh, because like that's uh, so interesting. I feel, that feels impossible because it's so it's, it's assumed that anything you'd ha- you'd have to learn anything. Like I feel like I have to say, for example, like organic food. Like if I leave the organic label off, organic is just saying not pesticides. Right. So like. It, but it, do you like the organic label? Well, well it's like it's putting it in a positive way. Like so, so I think positive less less about the fact that it's just positive and therefore it's good. The rationale there is kind of like I think the principle of the positive could potentially. I'm not sure. I haven't thought through this, but like could potentially make the principle more clear and have it be more mm. focused. But maybe not. I'm not. I'm not actually sure. Maybe it could have the opposite effect of what I'm wanting. But like. The first thing that comes to mind is like something around intuit, like intuitive, but that's. Yeah. But I, I think the affordance of no prerequisites is actually clearer than intuitive. Mm, um, I see. So maybe I actually kind of like it. Uh, okay, it just took a while to explain, but you you like the general idea. Yeah, but some, something about like if, if the wording could be more specific to reference like a like a class prerequisite, and even even then it doesn't contain the full flavor of. Um, what you're talking about because for some like for a like a like a class or something like where you're like a like a math class where that doesn't have prerequisites you still need to learn new concepts that you like like to like they're they're teaching you new mm. concepts so like even the con- like taking uh, the analog of a class like a school mm. class doesn't quite capture I see because it's not only are there no prerequisites but the class itself doesn't Introduce things like, that need to be instructed. It's it's all intuitive. Yeah, it's like infinitely. Like intuitive. You still need to like figure out how to do it by you figuring it out. But there isn't like a like a person who's introduce, introducing mm. new explicit knowledge and. Mm. Um, yeah, I agree. There isn't a word for this, uh, and like I, I spent a lot of time thinking about the, this particular question because when I was thinking about the name for this podcast, I was thinking about calling it the Learnable Programming Podcast with like a hat tip to Brett Victor's Learnable Programming Essay. Mm-hmm. And the problem is people didn't know what I meant by learnable. But, but, but this is what I mean by learnable. Mm. It's like learnable by yourself. And pe- so people said, oh, maybe you mean intuitive. Maybe you mean the, the word usable. Uh, so I, I don't think there's really a word. This is like a pretty unique thing. There are very few systems that are so beautifully designed that like you, you don't have to be taught things in order to know how to use it. There are only a few of them, like Logo and Scratch. So 
maybe micro world is the most precise word because it because that was the word that was coined to describe these types of things. What if, what if we step out from the programming realm and like look at like other things that we see in the world as having like these good affordances and see like how those are kind of referenced. Mm. Like the, the playpen thing is the thing that is the first thing that comes to me. Like a playground. Like I think like the designers of like good playgrounds like make things like really obvious. Yeah. Even though like things look super weird, it's like really obvious what you're supposed to do with it. Like, yeah. I wonder if they have a word for that. Mm. Um, yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's that's clever. I think a playground is very simple. You're not like combining a slide and a swing set. You know, it's like you're using. When in a when a programming system, you have to combine ideas and make more complicated ideas, so it's even though even the word playground strikes me as like uh, capturing mm. some of that. Yes, well, I think th- th- when people t- describe micro worlds, they describe it as like playground, like yeah. virtual playground. And so. and I would I would argue playground is a lot clearer than a micro world because micro the idea of a micro world is an explicit concept that is like that you have to teach. <laughs> it. That's true. A, That's yeah. a good point. Cool. All right, next one. Um, uh, so workflow built in, and this is a nuanced one, but I think it's really important. So I, w- I want a, something like Asana and Workflowy and GitHub all rolled into like one tool and integrated into the programming language experience. Um, basically, I want to treat the workflow that that by which programmers create programs as a first class citizen. Right now, the, the static files are like the first class citizen, and so um, a, a compiler just treats a, 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 like a program as like the only program that ever existed, which I think is silly because you want to change things constantly uh, and, and work in collaboration. So that's that's kind of where this design goal is. And so hmm. the, the, the goal would be it helps you organize your, your project. It would help you um, prioritize different features that you want to work on and like brainstorm how to build these things. It would include branching and version control and collaboration. Uh, like I, I would even like it to be able to notify you that you know you've been working on this feature for too long. Mm. You, know, you should take a break. <laughs> you're like you're in too much of a rabbit hole. You're, you're distracted. Mm, wow. Yeah. Uh, Love that. So what, what do you think about how, how would I go about describing that that kind of principle? Yeah. Like. Uh, huh. Work. When I hear the thing and then try to put a word to it, workflow makes sense. Um, workflow built in makes sense but when I hear workflow built in I don't get the things that you're saying um, so like when I first read when I first was reading that I think the thing that comes up for me is like hmm I think when we initially talked about this there, there's kind of like two com- like two, two high level components I can think of for this there's like kind of like the way that you deal and manage code Namely, like, Git um, and, like, folders and stuff. Um, then there's the way that you organize your thinking, um, some of which is done within code mm. with, like, comments or, like, the coding mm. language itself. Uh, but I, myself, like, usually keep uh, uh, an app called Workflow open, which I essentially use as my notepad, um, which... Could you, yeah, describe Workflow? Yeah, Workflow is, like, like, so just imagine, like, Google Docs, and you insert a bullet point, you can press enter, and a new bullet point comes out, and you can press indent, and, like, it'll indent in, so it's basically a tree outline thing, and imagine uh, Workflow is that, plus you can arbitrarily zoom into any node, uh, and that becomes the displayed root. 
Um, so basically, when I'm 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 coding, I I got this technique that my former co-founder sent me from a co- random comment in Hacker News that I thought was like super useful. Every like I I do this as I code now this like workflow thing, um, which I'll which I'll talk about in a sec. But like just to just to say how useful it's been, like. I do this whenever I code. Well, actually, I do this whenever I do any type of task. I've introduced this to my girlfriend, and she does it now. I introduced it to my other friend, Roxanne, and they all consistently keep doing it now. Um, and specifically, uh, I basically trace what I'm doing as I'm doing it. So it's like, okay, I need to um, install like Linux. It's like, okay, cool. So like, I write install Linux, and then underneath of it, it's like, okay, what do I actually need to do to install Linux? Like, I need to, like, one, like, download the CD um, ISO or something. It's like, okay, download CD. And I go and, like, go to the website, download it. It's like, okay, great, check, done. Next thing. What's the next thing I need to do? Um, need to, like, burn the CD. It's like, okay, right, burn CD. Sometimes there might be, like, multiple, like, little subtasks that I think of simultaneously but are done in series. Um, so I'll write those subtasks on. So it's, like, basically keeping track of each step that I do it. So one, it keeps me focused in which specific step I need to actually do next because sometimes when you're going down a rabbit hole, it's like, oh, there's this bug here. And like there are like 10 things I need, need to actually do to solve it. I can kind of lose track of what I'm doing and like completely forget. So having like a, a, a list that I can look at, oh yeah, that's the thing that I was doing um, is like super helpful. So the thing for all of that is like, it's, it's kind of like a... a I don't like the word mental crutch because it sounds negative, but like I can offload some of my brain stuff happening onto a piece of paper. Mm. Um, so it's basically a way to help me think. Yeah. Um, and I think that's exactly like the vision I would want for, I would want exactly that workflow, but in, embedded into the whole code process. So yes. Like one of the things that I see as being backwards is you come up with a thing in your head like you come up with a plan for what you want to do mm-hmm. in your head then you go into code and you spend a while like dicking around in code and then when you're finally when you're done you explain what you did in a commit message mm-hmm. it's like that's the opposite like shouldn't you mm-hmm. write what you're going to do first mm-hmm. and then do it and then just press done when you're done mm-hmm. with it and then it like automatically commits with that commit message yes and then I think where like the workflowy nested structure of this comes into play is as you're doing things you first specify what you're doing and you specify how this thing nests up to like mm-hmm. the, the bigger task. And, and so then you, 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 and like it kind of forks for you every mm-hmm. time you like do a subtask, it like kind of forks off that like top branch. Mm-hmm. And, like, and when you says, when you press down, it like kind of brings you back. It like merges for you into the, the branch at. Oh, like interesting. The, the, the I didn't, I didn't even think, I didn't even notice the one to oneness with yes. GitHub. Yeah. Workflow huh. and GitHub, I think could be the same tool. Huh? Wow. That's cool. Okay. Yeah, so how, like, workflow built in just doesn't capture. Like, I 100% agree with what you're saying. I think I'm just basically like, wow, Steve, these are great ideas. You need better names for them. Um, uh, it, it's like, it's kind of like, hmm. It's like thinking, like, like it helps, like, like a thinking tool built in. Or, like, it's even less clear what the fuck that means. All right. Uh, yeah, I, like workflow built in, like just I just think of like a to do list, and I don't get the fact that it's like helping support me mentally in my yeah. Um, it it like like um, uh, remember when we were we were teaching with um, I forget Joe Joe 
No. Okay. Um, Rosanna. Rosanna Sabato. Um, remember... Uh, do you remember those like sheets they'd have like the the kids fill out before yeah. they did anything? So this is when we were we were teaching with um, Rosanna Sabato at Bootstrap in Philadelphia, and so they, they had these worksheets. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So what about them? So so like they they had like bef- like it's basically like kind of like test driven development sort of, but like they'd force like what's the thing that you're trying to do, and then you'd be like, okay, mm. what are the things you need to do this? In? Mm. It's like, okay. Like, and yes. then, then you, like, go try to write the code. This is mm. all done on paper before they actually do yes. anything. Yes. Oh, and this is very relevant. Thanks for reminding me. So in teaching, that's called scaffolding. And it's a really useful... So the, what scaffolding is from an education perspective is you, is you say that the assumption, the principle behind scaffolding is that a student wouldn't be able to do the task by themselves without any structure. So what a scaffolding does is provide the minimum amount of structure possible to give the student a good place to get started on the task. I didn't feel like I explained that well. So Jonathan did a good job of explaining that in Bootstrap, when they would advise a kid, the structure they would provide, the scaffolding they would provide for a student is they would ask the student to write, what is the point of this program? What are we trying to accomplish? And then underneath that, they would ask, what are the variables that we need to keep track of? What are the different functions we need? So it helps a student think through all the, the high-level things so that when they go into code, they have this worksheet they can refer to to like think about what they're doing. And so in that, that we have a similar kind of scaffolding at the coding space, the after-school program that I started, we, where we have a, a, a tutorial where the students can refer, to, refer back to what, what step they're on, what they're trying to accomplish. We don't tell them how to do it. We just list the step. So the first thing that when a student raises their hand because they're stuck, the first thing a teacher says is, what are you working on? Mm. What's, <laughs> what step are you on? Like, what, just what step are you on? And that's like usually a huge point of confusion for most beginner students. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I forgot that I was even supposed to like, yeah. be doing a step. Like, I, I like, didn't even know what I was doing. Like, they just, all that's in their brain is just stuckness. Like, yeah. they, they, nothing, like, all the context about how they got stuck is gone. So being able to refer them back to the step. Then refer them back to why they're stuck. Like, what were they trying to do that led this, you know, so like through a series of questions, we help them figure out, just like refocus on why they're stuck and which does more to help them get unstuck than anything we could do. Like once we just like kind of help them focus on why they're stuck, they, they get unstuck. Like they just, they just lost the context that, that they forgot. And so wouldn't it be neat instead of having them like have a separate scaffolding over on a piece of paper on a different tab, yeah. if on the top of their editor, it said like, the step step that you're working on is and like right you know oh my god so good and like for a tutorial project you know we supply the step but if you're making your own project like you supply the steps and the sub steps and you just like select on the one you want to work on it takes you to that fork of a fork of a fork you work on it you press done it merges you right out oh my god and you like at any point if you're stuck there could even be a button that says like I'm stuck and it says like well like this is the thing you're trying to do like like does it does this thing need subtasks or is this, is this thing too complicated do you want to break it up into smaller problems or it'll say oh is, is the thing that you're working on even relevant anymore like look at the thing that this thing is trying to solve like right. you know maybe re-examine so that's to help you solve the XY problem so the XY problem in computer science is when you're trying to solve problem X but in order to solve problem X you, you think that problem Y will help you so then you spend a lot of time working on problem Y and you lose sight of the fact that what you're actually trying to do is solve problem X and problem Y is now harder than problem X Right. and so yep. so like that could help you with, with that problem too 
Oh my god, I would, I would, I would love to have that. And like, I, I myself still get stuck in those situations and don't like. I'm still the same student who's like, <laughs> I'm stuck. I don't know what's going on. And then I like, I have to step back and like, I finally remember like, an hour later, like, oh yeah, I need to yeah. use the steps. <laughs> I think it would be neat if when you're putting the steps and you estimate how much time you think the steps going to take. So that when that time passes, they say, hey, you've been working on this for 20 minutes, and and you thought it would only take 10, maybe. Maybe maybe zoom out here because because mm-hmm. uh, this this isn't going the way you expected. Yeah. So all of that is with a better <laughs> name. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, let's move on to the next principle. So uh, this is principle four. We have we have six principles to talk about. Um, so only logical bugs. So the the metaphor that I think you and I you actually came up with this when we were together is that imagine like a helpful waiter that when you order things. He'll give you tips. He'll say, "Oh, um, maybe you, you want the fish," or "Oh, you know." He'll also warn you against, "Oh, you know that dish isn't very popular. You probably shouldn't get it." But but ultimately, he, he will bring you what you ask for as long as it's not going to kill you. Like he'll let you do what you want, but he he's helping you. Uh, another metaphor we used is um, bowling lane bumpers. Hmm. So, um, and I think this is more of the flavor of what we were talking about before. Of shit just works. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, they're like seg faults wouldn't make any sense in this world uh, because that's not a bowling lane bumper. That's just like, oh, like <laughs> something's broken. Like fix <laughs> it. Yeah. So under the, underneath this principle, some of the ways to implement it are, would be blocks. So block based coding where there's no syntax errors or strong types, which allow you to have no runtime errors, uh, and then amazing error messages that help prevent bugs. So so Elm is really known for having really readable type errors. Yeah, doesn't doesn't this seem like a, a subset of shit just works, like only logical yes, bugs? I agree. I agree that shit only logical bugs is a subset of shit just works. Another subset of shit just works would be um, no installation required. Yes, no installation required, and like yeah, no installation required uh, because as I was just telling you, I, I spent the last like I spent five hours of the last two days installing, trying to tr- trying to install software to get. Um, something to run and it's just it's just ridiculous to have to spend hours and hours if you try if you want to get xcode to run it takes first of all you need a mac which is crazy and then second of all it takes depending on your internet connection could take you a whole day just to get up and running why isn't Mm -hmm. it why isn't it xcode.com slash create you know you know what's actually kind of pretty good at this that i don't normally think of as good at this like sublime you don't use sublime but like in the package manager you're just like install random package And it just like works, and I'm like really surprised that it just works because like I feel like it shouldn't. Yeah, so uh. Sublime Text does an unbelievably good job of package management. So does the Atom Text Editor that comes uh-huh. out. Um, they have the same kind of system. Ruby Gems, unbelievable. Like like Gem mm-hmm. Install. Like we do have it working sometimes. The, the reason I had such trouble was um, I, was, I was installing a Haskell project, and Haskell has a notoriously tricky build system. Even with the new stack build system, which is supposed to be better, it's still. See with Ruby gems and like Node and stuff, I still I, I still run into like issues yes. and like oh like you don't have this Xcode dependency oh like you installed Xcode select and you actually need like God damn it like I hate this shit yeah I I'm pretty this I think will be a maybe not in this community but I think this will be a like non popular opinion with most programmers that we need to move off the terminal like entirely move off the terminal there are uses for the terminal for some people and some use cases. But mo- the vast majority of programming, like web programming, systems programming, mm-hmm. like web programming or backend programming, frontend programming, especially, like should all be web apps. Like the, you should never have to CD into anything. 
you should never have to or, install or if not web apps like like that that's suggesting implementation but like it, we shouldn't be typing like lines of shit into something yes I, you're right I'm, I'm getting too much into the weeds here I the terminal is like so central to everyone who ever codes and like I'm specifically saying like that is garbage yeah sure. fair enough yeah the, the terminal should is a bad abstraction it, it was good enough at, at the time. Like the terminal was a beautiful abstraction for mm-hmm. for the time that it was it was built for. Mm-hmm. I think we can move past it. And, and, and we're really seeing like engineers move off of that for like GitHub Desktop. Like I yeah exactly. Like, people are actually using GitHub instead of like oh I don't need GitHub Desktop. I'm just gonna like do everything on yeah. terminal because I'm cool. It's like yeah, but like you don't have like the color. Like it just it's just <laughs> the worst interface. It's just like worse. Yeah. Um, like you'll might, let's say okay, I need to do some fancy rebase thing. Okay, go use the terminal. So it's like a default good interface like okay I need more advanced shit that's not like taken care of in the default case then maybe like terminals fine in this yeah or good enough yeah I would agree with that I think the way I, I explain this um, maybe better is that the interfaces that programmers have to build program computer programs should be of the same quality of consumer apps like mm-hmm. Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest, or even like Salesforce, which people hate the interface of, it's still better than the interface that programmers have to deal with. Yes. Ooh, I, I really like that. I really appreciate that thesis. Okay, so two more bullet points. Number five, no ceiling. So one thing that the Scratch team says about Scratch is that the floor is as low as possible. So it's as easy for, they're trying to make it as easy for anyone to get started playing with Scratch they're not as concerned with making the ceiling as high as possible. So that means that sometimes kids will want to do more advanced things than Scratch, but Scratch, the ceil- like that's higher than the ceiling. <laughs> like returning things in a function? Yeah, so Scratch <laughs> doesn't, doesn't allow you to return things in a function. If you want to have a function computer value for you, you have to save it into like a, uh, a global variable, which is really annoying. I heard some gossip from someone that apparently someone implemented that, and it actually worked. And then there was some like political thing or something or like it code wasn't good enough and then they, they never released it. Now as a result you cannot <laughs> you cannot return things in functions. Yeah, well so if you want to return things in functions in a scratch like environment, that's what Snap is for. Or or build your own blocks. It's a project out of Berkeley. And uh, and it's also great and they have stuff, um, scratch. It's basically scratch, but you can return values, you, you can have anonymous functions, it's a little bit more advanced. Uh, and, and and what this just for trivia's sake, this uh, build your own blocks project was created to inspire the Scratch team to include these features into Scratch. Oh, that was why. That was the- <laughs> they, they never wanted to be its own independent project. They wanted to like prove to the Scratch team that, that it could be done. And so the Scratch team took some of their ideas, but not not all of them. So okay. I don't think when. Um, when build your own blocks was created, I don't think you were able to even build a function at all, like a method. Oh you were, God! You weren't even able to build your own block in Scratch, and so that's that was the main oh, thing. Yeah. That, so that was what what build your own blocks did for Scratch. Oh, yeah, that's why it's called build your own blocks. Yeah, that was the whole point. Um, so underneath uh, no ceiling, I have it, it plays it integrates nicely with existing technologies. It has bindings to databases like Firebase. Or, or bindings to like the Bootstrap UI, like CSS library, and it has really easy package manager importing mm. of other software. So, <laughs> yeah, the the thing that gets me to think of I think my, my former co- co-founder, uh, this is Zach Lotta of Hack Club. Like the one of the really important things to him is like no fake shit. It's like it's like I'm I'm not actually directly quoting him. I just probably curse too much. Um, it's like real like real stuff like. 
we don't want to do this like fake child stuff at Hat yeah. Club. We want to do real shit. He's like, that's the thing that's actually motivating. He's like, oh, you're like, you're like ten years old. We're gonna give you like this instead. It's like, no, fuck that. Like, yeah, that's that's kind of a, a, a bit of a separate point, but it's very very important. That and I've, I've written about it. And I've talked about it. Scratch. One of the reasons, the main reason kids don't like Scratch is because it seems like it's for children, and it. it I, I spend a lot of my time when teaching Scratch, convincing children and adults that no, this tool is actually complicated and you're, no, like you actually are learning really intense things about programming. It, it's like a hard sell. Mm-hmm. And so, almost from a marketing perspective, yeah, um, making it, that, that's more superficial, like making it seem like it's for adults is more important than it actually being for adults. Yes. But I think we could, we could accomplish both. Yeah, so, so specifically on the, the, the no ceiling part of this is like, I don't think that, like, like I guess it, it doesn't, it's, I don't think it's specific enough to actually be true, because, like, like, in theory, a literal no ceiling means, like, I could develop, like, intense, like, graphics processing. You could build a spaceship with it. I could build a spaceship with it. Like, and, like, even within, like, quote-unquote adult languages, like, you're not going to use, like... Everything has a ceiling. Everything has like a best use case. Like you're, mm. you, you want to use like data stuff in Python. Like sure, you could do it in JavaScript and deal with floating point mm. things. But like that's a really good, yeah, that's a really good point. That there there is no way to have no ceiling. We can always just make the ceiling higher. It, yeah. It's like there are different ceilings, right? Yeah, and it's like true. which which like which there, there's a ceiling per vertical, um, per type of yeah. So, like, maybe being specific about, like, which, which vertical. Is, is it, like, games? Like, is there no game ceiling? Is it, like, 2D games? Or is it, like... Uh, yeah. I think what maybe what the better way to explain it is it's maybe kind of, like, halfway in between what we're talking about, the superficial and the deeply being able to do what kids want. I think it should give kids the feeling that they can do whatever they want to. That, like, it should give kids the feeling that this is as real as coding gets. And anything that they would want to do in this system, they could do in a real coding system. Well, the question is, like, is it for kids? No. Um, well, so it's for kids yeah. and everybody. So, so I think that's, like, the, like, I think as soon as a system is something that real people use, kids won't think that it's for them. Yeah. Yeah, I, oftentimes I think about using my kids as beta. Like, that, that's very expensive. Like, if my goal was to get kids to use something... Um, like everyone to use something but in order to convince kids to use it I have to like prove to them that adults <laughs> yeah. use it that's like a very expensive proof it'd be nice if the tool itself was but but shouldn't it in theory be if, if it is good enough for for adults w- wouldn't people just switch over to it because it was better yes like uh, definitely it seems like there's like a 10 year like kids come to me wanting to learn okay, Java okay okay yeah, and like the reason they want to learn Java is because like for the last 20 years Java has been like an adult programming language so I don't want to have to wait 20 years for like the industry to adopt it formally before kids being kids are, decide that they want to learn it so, so maybe it's not like adults maybe it's just like 10 adults actually like they're, they're actual like here's real sh- like maybe it's like here's real crap being built that was in built thing. in that would be cool if Instagram was built in the system or like if something that they'd heard of was built in it that right. would do it or like even example real you, yeah just a link you could point to like right. you could build something that looks like this Right, like like we rebuilt Facebook on this. Like yeah. this is this is. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Maybe maybe yeah, that would be the cheaper the cheaper alternative is like rebuild existing things with the thing. Yeah, impressive. Yeah, I like that. We build World of Warcraft on. Good luck. Yeah. 
That's true. So this is kind of a tangent, but it's something that I've been thinking a lot about with Woof, my JavaScript programming environment, to make games and animations. I think it's a very powerful tool that people could use to make like really popular multiplayer web games or even iPhone games if you, if you package up into a web view. I think it could be like a really powerful tool, like Unity, but just easier to use. But no one's doing it. I feel like 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 I don't know how to kickstart that process. I don't know how to like explain to people that like here's this better tool. And just to give you a sense, I had a friend who had spent a number of weeks building like a Flappy Bird like game in Unity. He was learning Unity at the same time, and I showed him how. And like kind of for fun, I built the same game that he was building. They were build, building over the last like month. I built it in five minutes in twenty lines of code in, in Woof because it's just like it's, it's a better tool. And so I'm wondering how to get the word out that like this is a thing. Well, well, it's different, right? Like people who use Unity like aren't usually trying to build Flappy Bird. They're trying to build like intense 3D worlds, like for like virtual reality or something. That's thing. one of the uses of Unity. In which case, Wolf wouldn't be the right tool. But I think there's another. Like people do use it to make simple games. Really? Well, what platform do you people use to make simple games in? Like processing or yeah, that would be a better example. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah, if someone wants to, yeah, I I would like to convince people who use processing to use Woof instead. Processing is, but I don't think, but I don't think nobody, I don't think people use processing to make simple iPhone games. Like I don't think anyone does that. I don't like I don't know if any iPhone games are made in processing. When it's probably a better piece of technology than Unity to make simple iPhone games. You can use Unity on the iPhone. Yeah, is that what people do? Yeah, so so that's probably probably like the like. The, the, the thing that might be able to make it so that people use Woof or processing in the iPhone is an export button because that's what Unity has. You like file, export, and then like you pick Yo, a platform yeah. and, then, and you just like you hit iPhone, iPhone Yo, and you export. That's the thing. That's, that's the, the thing, thing I need. That 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 total. I yeah. That sounds like super slow because like like um, I make game. You know, make games with us. Yeah. So like, I think the thing that one of the big selling points is like by the time you leave, you'll have an app on the App Store. Yeah. Like. I think that's like that's something exciting to me because I don't know I don't know Swift or Objective C now, and like it's like oh I can just like make like an i like I, I just there's this like large hurdle in my mind about like I can't get something on the iPhone unless I spend like two weeks learning it. It's like I've never been like eh, I don't need to spend these two weeks I'll do something yeah. else, and so that would be a huge draw for me. It's like this thing exports the iPhone. Ooh. Yeah, you, I guess you'd still have to like install you still have to like get a de- Apple developer thing there's like all this bullshit you have to do to like get it into the app store because yeah. Apple sucks like it's, it's not a website you can't just like host mm-hmm. it yourself um, but so you can do stuff on test flight and maybe that could be built in yeah so, maybe it's and, looking and if, if not an iPhone then like Android start with Android hmm. yeah maybe cool that's a good idea alright so let's finish uh, these principles number six simple made easy so this is an idea I'm stealing from Rich Hickey and so, uh, to like define these words, simple is something that is easy to understand. So imagine a knot, uh, a rope with one knot in it. That's very simple. Um, on the other hand, easy is something that is close at hand. It's like it's you can be very lazy and do something easy. So like imagine someone like sitting on a couch eating potato chips. Like it's very easy to eat potato chips on a couch. You don't have to move. But it might not be simple, but it's it's easy. So yeah. So like for example, could you could you give the same could you can you give a contrasting thing for simple and easy for the same type of example? No, <laughs> I don't have one of those examples readily available. Um, I'll, I'll just give you more examples of simple versus easy. 
Well, like um, I can try. To... I'll, I'll just talk a little bit more, and then and then you. Okay. you so uh, another example, of something easy would be uh, gem install, like dependency, because that dependency it was very easy to type those three lines, and now things kind of work. But you just introduce this big hairball into your program. Like who knows how that works, and who knows all the complexities you're gonna have to deal with. So it was super easy, not very simple. Writing that same piece of code by hand is very simple because like you're designing it by hand for your use case. It's not easy. It might take you a year, but it's very simple and you understand all of the, the pieces. So that's a bit about the distinction. Do you have an analogy that you want to contribute? Uh, maybe thinking about like administration for any kind of organization. It'd be really simple for the organization to be like a school. It'd be like, we never regrade papers. Like mm. we will never regrade them no matter what. So even if like a person had a really, really good excuse, say like their home was burned down or something like oh sorry we can't regrade papers you failed a class and you had to fail the school so that'd be very simple to always keep that policy um what would be easier is like like for a given situation like oh like yeah we'll Mm. just make an exception we'll just say yes sure whatever that's easy for them to say yes yeah but like it's no longer simple it's like a whole bunch of like um okay well in this situation we can do it but what about this other situation yeah exactly yeah, so uh, uh, an ultimatum rule like that, yeah, it's very simple from the perspective of understanding it. Um, when, when an easier system where it's like a case-by-case basis, that's really, really complicated. And it's like hard. I think the thing about easy things is that they're hard to model sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's more like, mm. and I think like what you're getting at is rule by law is very simple yeah, yeah, and yeah, rule yeah, by man yeah. is very easy. Yeah. And I think, it, yeah, so I think... The, anyways, that's, that's that <laughs> distinction. Um, so examples of things that are easy, when you pass, when, like, um, there's this distinct, an example is in programming we have this distinction called pass by reference or pass by value um, in a, into a function. So if, an, if a function has, if a language has pass by value, then when you give a function an argument and then you mute and you like do things to that argument within the function, nothing, it doesn't affect the the original argument that, w- that it was given. But if, it ha- if you have pass by reference um, in your language, then anything you do to the thing that you're, re- that you're to the argument that the function was given inside the function, that, ha- that ref- is reflected on the, the outside object. And so R- Richicki says, and I agree, that pass by reference is very easy, but very complicated. It's very easy, sorry, it's very easy, but not at all simple. Pass by value, is is harder you'll have it's not it's not as easy you'll have to like write more lines of code but it's very simple like every time you mm. pass a um an argument to a function it, it like is a totally different thing interesting I, I wonder if that's fundamentally true like i think that the thing that's annoying about pass by reference is that it, things are not always passed by reference so like in java or some or like in javascript like Sometimes you can pass by reference. Sometimes you can kind of pass by like like numbers are passed by value, and like objects are passed by reference. Yes. So it's like it's like oh like I don't know which one it is. Like is this one a pass by value or pass by reference? That does complicate things more. I think Richie would say that um, in a system where it's all pass by reference or all pass by value, pass by value is still the sim- simpler of the. It makes you be explicit about when things change. And it, it keeps the responsibility for the for each um, name at the top level. So when you have passed by reference, you're all of a sudden delegating the responsibility to all sorts of other parties, hmm. and like anyone can change. I see any, anything anywhere, as opposed to this thing 
it like lives at this level of abstraction and like only you know you can give it to someone else and they can recommend a change you can choose whether or not you want to like accept that change at the top mm-hmm. level um, but it, it kind of keeps things this is related to um, an essay by Andre Saltz that I'll link to here where um, um, he, ha- he has really good diagrams about different arrows pointing where like where the where state where the who is in charge of mutating state uh, and he has like all these these arrows and diagrams. yeah I can I can actually really I can I can feel that because it's like they're all these consumers like who mm. knows which one yeah. like fucked with it it's like when you have a house who left the dishes yeah like, and so it's much easier if you have everybody be responsible for its own state and other people can read that state but right. if they want to mutate it they can request a mutation right. but they can't mutate it directly and so if you want to know like how this one piece of state is modeled you look at one file like one wow area. okay I can feel that yeah it's way simpler wow yeah. okay so you know given that I want to get away from files in general and like and have every have everything be like a first class citizen so any mutation in any piece of state like in theory if we built the computer system right it would be able to know like oh these are all the places this code might be edited <coughs> but in the long run um, I think that's probably overkill and, and pass by value is just a simpler simpler system so that's an example of simple made easy another um, example of, of, of things that are simple so so to be more clear simple versus easy is the distinction and then simple made easy is when you take a concept that is simple but by default it's kind of a hard thing to do it takes a lot of time and so you make something that is simple easy so an example of making something that is simple but like hard easier uh, one example would be named arguments so most programming languages have positional arguments so if you put the arguments in a different position or you forget the position of the different arguments the behavior of the function is entirely different and this is very easy because you don't have to type the names of each of the arguments but it's not at all simple it's like complicated you have to know more things and so a way to make simple things to make this simple thing of named arguments easier is a structured editor which when you go to type a function it automatically fills the names of the arguments you're going to need and you can then just fill in the blanks Mm. Uh, so a lot of things a lot of the reason that code right now is easy but complicated is because you have to type every character Um, (coughs) when we have a system where you you're not editing text and it's more structured we can we can make simple simpler things easier with completions and you can see this already with how Java editing Java code works because uh, you can like add a class and it'll add all sorts of scaffolding for you. Boiler boilerplate is is making as bad as boilerplate is. Boilerplate makes simple things easier as opposed to Ruby magic, which will just kind of hide it mm-hmm. behind the scenes and you don't see how it works. That's easy and not at all simple. Okay, so those are the principles. Do you, do you have any other thoughts, Jonathan? Like general thoughts about designing on principle if like we should spend more time we should spend less time thinking about these principles or just general thoughts about these principles or principles in general I think uh, I think it's probably fine I imagine just like working on it more will kind of trying to actually build the thing will elucidate which which principles need to be really stuck to and like after doing more versions I think I imagine the principles will change like a little bit or subtleties will emerge so I think just thinking about them up front probably won't be so helpful Cool, great. So next topic, um, 
So you built at the School for Poetic Computation, you built a physical programming, phys physical computational project. Do you want to talk at all about the importance of physical computing, the limitations of screens, that kind of thing at all? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I, I think this is an area that I don't have that much familiarity with. Um, first thing that pops up is like, people are like, oh, physical computing, like physical computing is like really important and like, uh, etc. Let's all learn Arduino. It's like, oh God, Arduino is like the, is like not simple or easy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, I guess it's easier than like previous embedded microsystems. Micro uh, but uh, I think there's really like, well, something that I think is simple, made easy is what, what's the what's the thing that you snap together on the like that programming block bit 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 uh, you know what I'm talking about? I think so. It's like MIT MIT Media Lab founder. Oh, the um, the magnets or the yeah electronics? they snap together. It's the electronics. electronics. Yeah. Yeah. Bit but bucket. <laughs> bit. I think I know. What you're block about. bit bit. Block bit. Uh, snap magnets programming. Uh, block snap snap magnetic electronics. There are a few um, products that do this now. Like Maddie made a thing for the little bits. Little bits, yes. I think little bits does like a freaking amazing job at like simple made easy. Um, what they don't, what they don't, what they don't do is like uh, unlimited ceiling. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so are they truly, so I'll push back, are they truly simple? Like, can you do complicated things with them? Or is it, like, you can only do a few canned things? Well, does simple imply that you can always do complicated things? One of the great things about simple designs is that you can build, because each piece you have to understand is so simple, you can build them up into more complicated parts. So 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 in theory you can. The problem is like the physical limitations get kind uh, of annoying, mm. um, because like oh no, I, I ran out of room. I need to grab. No, the block doesn't turn mm. ninety degrees. So anyway, little little bits is um, is a. I don't even. It, they're like electronic Legos that you can just snap together. So it's like. Like, uh, you'll have, like, one block that's, like, the power, and you can, like, route, like, you can stick a neck, you can snap another block next to it, which is a slider, and all of a sudden you have an output that modulates a slider, like, the power source from zero to five. You can snap, like, a, like a, like a, mm. a power strip, or, like, an LED strip next to it with, like, with a bunch of LEDs, and, like, if the LEDs have, like, um, and, like, it'll change the brightness of the LED just by putting the slider there, mm. and it just works. Mm. Um... So That's I think, cool. I think there's something really nice about things that are kinesthetic that make things even simpler because they model one to one. Like we as humans have like a very clear uh, understanding, intuitive understanding of physical objects. So it's like we know like like getting a child to like, understand the idea of abstractly two things added together uh, is like. Two plus two is four, but like they'll totally get it if you have like, like, like two apples and then two other apples. Like how many apples? It'll be like four apples. Like daw. Um, but if you try to keep, teach them the abstract concept of addition, it's like way harder. So like by like making things physical, 
like we add this entirely more powerful affordance of of the physical world and like we can try to model physical and digital um but i think there's some there's some like cool stuff to be done in 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 by adding like this physical layer Mm. of stuff yeah i so i i'm not sure i understand correctly my but my fear with the system you described where you have a slider and you connect it to mm-hmm. the lights and it, and it kind of flows through is that it's limited in what you can do G- given that like what if you wanted you know that that number that slider to connect to two different LED strips mm-hmm. like can it fork like can you use there's, yeah there's a fork there's a fork lock so you can yeah. you can I, I guess what I'm wondering is is it how expressive is it as a like programming language system yeah, I mean, obviously, it's like significantly more limited than like what you can create with software. Um, I'm not like sold but it's still on expressive. Yeah, it's still it's still pretty it's still pretty expressive. Like, I think they have a really like one one model that I've kind of kept coming back to and, and seeing a lot is the idea of a pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so like in Node.js middleware, it's like it's you just like keep passing an object between middlewares, and then you just keep passing a request, and then you like. Um, respond with a response and then you call the next function mm-hmm. um, and like that's like a really simple abstraction that allows you to kind of do anything um, and I think like little bits follows that like pipeline model like yeah. perhaps even more literally yeah yeah um, pipeline model definitely is, is powerful th- this isn't really getting to like the point that you're making about the limitations in- introduced as when, when bringing things physical but um, I don't know. I, I, I guess like that's kind of what comes up for me. I don't have any like like uh, strongly opinionated thoughts around cool physical things, except that I wish more existed. <laughs> yeah. All right. So there's this concept that that I want to keep coming back to, which is that not every programmer thinks that programming needs to or can be drastically improved the way you you and I do, mm-hmm. and so. And we all come to programming as beginners where we just, everything is just taught to us and we accept it the way it is. So what was your red pill? When did you realize that things were bad and could be made drastically better? Uh, I don't know. I think, I think that's always just been my attitude about everything. <laughs> um, what, where do you think that came from? That's a, that's a good question. I think it comes from a place that everything sucks. Uh, Or, like, always, like, looking at things like, oh, this could be better. Which kind of, like, I'm getting into meditation mindfulness now and realizing that's not necessarily the most healthy place to see things from. Um, But that definitely is a part of me that has, that literally answers the question of where do you think this comes from and where, where might that attitude kind of come from for me? I don't know, it's interesting. I, I kind of looked at the pattern of all the stuff that I've ever done, and, like, when you kind of look at it, someone could be, like, WTF, like, none of these things, like, how are, how are the things that you're doing cohesive? From, like, teaching programming to, like, becoming interested in meditation and mindfulness to, like, coding yourself to, like, uh, doing nonprofit work. Um, but the thing that, cohe- that cohesifies... Is that a word? Um, coheres? Coheres all these things together is that, like, I saw a lack of understandability in something and wanted to create clarity in that thing. Mm. 
Um, so like meditation and mindfulness, I think is explained like horribly a lot of times to people like the, the mental models of what's happening are like not clear at all. And like mm-hmm. the feedback loop for meditation is like, Oh, just meditate more is like not the most helpful feedback loop. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah. Anyway, so that's an area that I'm really excited about. Um, I don't know what I can trace that to. That's, that's a good question for me to kind of reflect on. Okay. Um, one thing that this made me think of is I, I too notice the fact that there's like two sides to the coin of appreciating what we have now versus complaining about it. There's like the, uh, the, the static complacent mindset versus the striving mindset and how if you want to get things done in the world, it seems like the striving mindset makes the most sense. But if you want to be happy right now in the moment, the complacent mindset might make more sense. Well, it's cool that like the meditation mindfulness stuff has like helped me realize it's like there, there, there's actions and there's kind of like your way of being. So like the action of like making wanting to make thing like trying to create things that have like good interfaces doesn't need to come from a place of wrongness where it's like oh this all this sucks like this is terrible. Mm-hmm. It's like oh wouldn't it be like cool if we could do this. So it's like kind of an attitudinal thing where it's like how ang- basically how angry are you? Like how strong mm. are your cortisol levels when you're doing this thing? Are you like blaming or making someone wrong when you're doing yeah. this? Or mm, so I, see. I I find that I'm I often get most excited about the future of programming and explaining why I think it can be better when I explain about it in the context of how bad the things we are mm-hmm. now. Like I find that it's easier sometimes. And I think this is this also true in education. When I'm thinking about the future of education, it's easier to explain how things could be better by complaining about what is as opposed to talking about what could be. So so to make this conversation a little bit political for a second, like should we not do that? You can give it a try. So it's like we don't need to we don't need to take sides in this argument, but like one thing that we're 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 seeing with like our 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 new our new president, like there are some people who are very opposed to our new president. And one not so helpful so say you have someone who is like very for our president and someone who's very against him. If there's a person who's like, our president is like really bad for X and Y reasons, he's horrible, blah, 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 blah. How likely is the person who's supporting our president likely to listen? Probably like not like, and this, this goes for anything, right? Like, like my, my friend wrote an article about um, her, her, her conversation, ta- conversation like um, that she was having with her family about this particular issue. Um, and like, my grandfather is like significantly less likely to like kind of empathize and get me if I'm just telling him how like terrible of a person he is for voting for this person. Like that, that's not a helpful conversation. So I imagine like analogously, if we just tell the people who are like building these systems that are existing, all of your stuff is terrible. Like that might not be the most in like yeah. way to get people bought in. I definitely agree from a buying perspective, shitting on what exists now might, might, might not be the best way to go about it. I'm wondering just interpersonally if, because sometimes I, I try and challenge myself to not think negatively and only think positively. Like, try not to think about how, another, like one of the reasons I try and do that is because if you think about how to make something that's better than what we currently have, it kind of might trap you in an iter- like a innovative or like iterative thinking where you're trying to make something that's like incrementally better mm-hmm. than what we have when what we're trying to do is to create something drastically better than what we have. Mm-hmm. So, do you, yeah, do you think about, yeah, like whether or not you should, yeah, not think about the tools we have now and think more abstractly? 
I, I think like in terms of what we actually think about, I don't think I'm advocating for changes on that. I think it's just like thinking about like when we're building these things, how angry are we or how depressed mm. are we? I see. Um, yeah. yeah the emotions behind it are what matters. Yeah. Like how, how persistent are negative emotions? I imagine like from like a physiological perspective where psychological things directly map to physiological, like probably be more productive in a not stressed state. Yeah. Um, however, maybe it's helpful to start from the state of seeing everything as bad. Say, okay, I don't need to get stressed about this. Like, mm. okay, what do I need to do and get excited about the momentum as opposed to how bad things are? Yeah. Well, I guess um, as someone who wants to make things better, I get excited when I see that things mm-hmm. are bad. Like sometimes I get sad when I th- see that things are good. It's like I have less things to do now. Yeah. I, I feel the same way as you and like there's two parts there's two parts of my brain there's one part's like yeah I get like a lot of shit done and like I get really excited and like it's like oh my god there's so much opportunity and there's like another side that's like but Jonathan this is so miserable it's like mm, okay like still trying to trying to have those parts in my head kind of like talk it out in a not so violent way cool so um, this question is uh, I'm asking you to play the contrarian game so what do you know to be true about the future of coding that nobody else does so, the first thing that comes to mind for this is less about the future of coding and more about the future of coding education. Yeah. And I don't think I'm the only person to know this to be true, but I see a lot of, like, I don't see too many people explicitly acting on it that much, um, where the biggest blocker to learning code, I don't think is explicitly like the difficulties of understanding the abstractions because of intellectual barriers themselves. I, I see it as like emotional blockages. Mm. Like the reason why like I looked at my, like all of my students like in the past and like the thing that gets in the way for them usually isn't like, I can't figure it out. Like everyone can like figure this out if they put enough time and effort into it. It might be like not the best experience, but like they can do it. Um, they might struggle and it might be really intellectually hard, but they'll get through it. But, like, the thing that gets in the way, if they start thinking, oh, I'm so bad, like, I'm so bad at this, programming's in for me, like, all those, like, fixed mindset type things. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with this, it's, like, the work of um, Carol Dweck, where you can, I don't feel like, exp- probably shouldn't explain the whole thing. Should we explain the whole thing? Maybe do the 60... 60 seconds? 20 second version? 20 second version. Basically, it's like, do you believe that your abilities at a particular skill is changeable or is it fixed? So if I say, oh, I'm not so good at dating, I have a fundamental belief that Jonathan, like, fundamentally has a lesser ability to date because of, like, genetics or something. Um, or is it... I think I might have a quick way. I, I, I see it as a self-fulfilling prophecy. So mm-hmm. if you think that your ability is fixed in a certain domain... It is true, it will remain fixed, but if you believe that you can get better at something, then that will also be true, and you will mm. be able to get better at something. Yeah, and the logical, the, the logical train of thought for that is like, if I think my ability is fixed, I'm not going to try to change it, and if I don't try to change it, then obviously it won't get better. Yeah, and it's really all about the amount of time you spend doing a thing, and so if you think you're just going to be bad at programming for forever, you won't spend a lot of time doing it, mm-hmm. and that's why, you will, that's why the prophecy will be fulfilled. So like... This is just one of those emotional things uh, that I think kind of gets in the way. There's also, like, kind of cultural emotional things that are, like... There's, like, some feeling of, like, arrogantness that sometimes exists in programming. It's like, oh, look at me. I, like, did this, like, really complicated thing, like, one line of code. I'm, like, fucking awesome. Y'all are dumb. 
Um, I mean, obviously, like, a lot of people aren't like them. There are a lot of people who are, like, the stark contrast in, in this community as well. Um, but there's, like, some aspects of, like, afraid of feeling stupid um, in, in, this, in this space. Um, so I think, like, emotional blockages are, like, significantly larger stumbling blocks for someone to become confident and like mm-hmm. uh in, in in programming like a like a like um like women in technology is like a really hot topic for, for, for a while now and like hearing stories from my friends like uh there's a there's a friend of mine who like is like super nerdy is super like operationally like loves like thinking about how do i like define rules so that we can always follow those rules and like it'll things will just like work that way and just like keep it really like simple kind of referring to things earlier and like making everything really explicit and clear and like it's like she has like the like like one like one i don't know powerful like having that kind of thinking will like kind of make you like I, i'm afraid to say like natural programmer mm. but like um the the like there's inherent incitement excitement in programming for you maybe that i can i could say that um by kind of like specifying these rules and stuff but like however like she always she she shared with me that like when she went into like cs classes that were like filled with men like she was like super uncomfortable and like she always felt like she was dumb especially when all these like a lot of these bunch of these men like started programming when they were in like fifth grade it's like oh my god i just started coding like i can't do this like I think those are the like and, and like she started learning coding and like learned super fast now after she overcame that fear and like like I think these are the types of emotional blockages that really kind of get in, in the way and like maybe kind of putting it uh, more on the uh, more on the specifics of what we're talking about like when code doesn't work and all of a sudden like the error is like sag fault like which is essentially like fuck you like like <laughs> you fucked up. Um, we can make those errors like even like if we keep it exactly the same it's like a picture of a kitten that's like hey like this doesn't work do you want to try again like I, I imagine that'd be like a lot less scary and you see like Khan Academy kind of doing that with yeah. their like little like thing about Bob yeah exactly um, yeah cool. yeah thanks I um well I agree with you that most people don't think that that is in the future of co- like mo- so this is the contrarian game so most people um, wouldn't agree with you, I think, or mm-hmm. would, maybe wouldn't put as much importance on it as you do. I, however, also happen to agree with you mm-hmm. on this. Um, and and we, we do a number of things at the coding space to like mm. uh, deal with these things. Like one of the, the main things is is pretty straightforward. We teach kids in person. Mm-hmm. We like have teachers there who can like physically, emotionally. Like when I say physically, I mean like being near them. And so like and kind of notice when a kid is sad with their body language and say like hey like you seem sad or tired or anxious like let's walk or talk mm-hmm. or, or like like smile or put your computer down there, there mm-hmm. are all these things that a, a teacher can do to address these emotional things when they're in your physical space mm-hmm. uh, and I think when you're thinking about teaching people coding or anything at scale when the emotional issues are so paramount how do you do it when you can't physically be in the same space as all these kids mm-hmm. so that's one of the things I think about and then as far as the um, the the women thing, uh, have, like because there are not many women in tech, women don't want to be in tech. You know, it's kind of like a negative feedback loop. Uh, one of the ways we solve that is by having girls-only computer science classes, and that's mm-hmm. one of our most popular programs. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, our 
girls only computer science program this summer is, is significantly bigger than our co-ed computer science program which we're very proud of she's, she's now in an all women's coding program your friend yeah. is now in an all women's coding program oh I think I know who his friend is yeah <laughs> oops uh, that's alright um well, like, like if you were thinking from first principles, right? Like, if that was the question you were trying to answer, if that was a principle, like, I think, like, if, if the principle of, like, emotions first or something yeah. was, a, was a principle of, like, like, even though you know it, like, yeah. it's not... I, I don't, That's I, a great principle. It's not a principle in the in cycle. Yeah, you're right. Emotions first, because that is a... Seymour um, Papert does a good job of making that a principle. Like, emotions first, and... And in order for a kid to feel like good at something and to like spend the time, like kind of like another. So, as we talked about with fixed mindset and growth mindset, the real thing that matters is how much time you spend doing a thing. And so, their emotions matter so much because if you enjoy something and you feel like you're good at it, you feel like it's something that makes up your identity, then you'll spend so much more time doing it and you get so much better at mm-hmm. it and then it'll make an even bigger part of your identity. And so he spends a lot of time thinking about emotions from that perspective, making sure that his programming language allows kids to do things that they intrinsically want to do mm-hmm. and, and you know, makes them smile, makes them happy, and makes them feel like they own the knowledge. So that part of emotions, I think he does like a great job at addressing and that's like all the typical things that people think about that are really frustrating with programming like and i think there are like other things too like the things that you say that you do at the coding space with physical teachers yeah like it's hard though how do i how do you do that in a in a, in a programming language so like 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 it's, it's a good goal but like hey how do you do it so like maybe maybe what that looks like is like it's uh the sub bullet point of like i'm just I'm just whiffing, whiffing here. What's the word? Riffing? Riffing. Yeah. Whiffing. Um, is maybe the, 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 the interface is like uh, collaboration first. Um, That's definitely going to be how it is. Is that in there? Uh, no, it's not in there. But that's like obviously a mm-hmm. principle. So it's like, can you just, how easily can someone well, else? That's like a sub bullet in wor- workflow. The, one of the workflow bulls is that like collaboration is like a first or like shit just works or I don't know whatever yeah it's definitely in there but like if we think about it from like a, like emotions level it's like okay humans are helpful humans like people like to collaborate like I don't know I think there are other ways that like if we, if we really stopped and think about it and said like we want to make a programming experience where the most important thing is emotions that are not the frustration ones around shit not working mm. like yeah, like I think that's an interesting question to ask. Yeah, I like an idea that just came up to me is if um, if this system was entirely cloud based and collaborative, like Google Docs kind of style collaboration, wouldn't it be neat if we had like a mentor program where people who who were more experienced signed up for different time slots, so that when a new person came to the website, they were like they were immediately dropped into a, a pair programming session, like mm-hmm. like everyone's first time on the website mm-hmm. is a pair programming wow. session. Wow, yeah. Like, wouldn't that be? And I guess like one way you could scale that is instead of having mentors, just everyone who goes on the website immediately is paired with another anonymous user who might also be doing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like everyone is, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like you know, there, there's no solo mode. Like by default, you have to be programming with someone. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I think like the, the the whole like it's like how do you like make a rubber duck not like as shitty? Yeah. Um, so explain the the, the rubber duck um, metaphor. So like. 
uh, to my understanding, um, like uh, some like software companies or something used to like give their employees rubber ducks so that like if they had a problem they could talk it out to the rubber duck. And like what some what people do a lot, including myself, is like they might be like, "Hey, person, like, can you help me on this problem?" The person will be like, "Sure." It's like, okay, so my problem is this thing, and like it's because of this. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Like I figured out my own problem, and the person's like, "You're welcome, I guess." You just <laughs> um, so like instead of doing that to another person, you can do it to another rubber duck. But like the advantage of another person is that like a person feels like they're listened to, and therefore feels like they want to speak more. So it's like an emotional thing. So, like, having another human has beneficial for that. Cool. So, uh, do you have any ideas of people or technologies in this space that we should keep our eye on? Is it, like, do you have any programming languages or researchers or... I, I, would, I would... You're the person I would come and ask that question, mm-hmm. so I, I would defer to you on that. Got it. Um, do you have any ideas of, of things or technologies or people that are overhyped or that we're focusing on too much in this space? VR, AR, or physical computing, or computer and computers, anything that's overhyped? Uh, I think, yeah, I think physical computing is a little bit overhyped, not because I don't, like, you kind of heard me kind of, like, saying how awesome physical computing is, but I think people are missing, like, the subtlety of, like, good user interface physical computing is really important. Trying to learn Arduino right now is, like, the most, like... Mm. Oh my god. Arduino is overhyped, you think? Yeah, maybe maybe it's just Arduino, but there's like not that many things that are like super obvious and easy to use like mm. physical computing products. That's funny. I wonder if there's a business in making a better Arduino. It sounds like you think there is. Yeah, I think there definitely is. Like, a, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, even like Raspberry Pi or like those things like Raspberry Pi is great if you're like a software engineer. It's like, oh, great. I can have this like Linux thing in this. But like if you're like a beginner person, it's just like Wait, how do I even like, like make one of these switches turn on? Like, it wasn't that easy for me to figure out how to do that. Yeah, um, I, I have I've had similar experience with Arduinos and, and stuff. Yeah. Um, all right, last question. What do you think? What do you see as the biggest obstacle to the improvement of, of coding? Like the vision of coding that that, yeah. like, that I have. Like, what's the, the obstacle? Why think- isn't it happening? I think we touched we touched on this earlier. It's like a it's a cultural thing, um, and like Brett Victor hinted at his talk, or like Brett Victor gave this like great talk about like he pretended he was like a, mm. um, you you probably described this better than I can that particular talk. Oh no, go for it. I, I think you actually. Uh, heard, oh, okay. So it. Uh, so it was at Dropbox. Brett Victor um, dressed up like he was in the seventies, and he talked about the future of programming from the perspective of somebody in the seventies, and so. That, that decade, the previous decades, saw many, many improvements in programming language abstractions. We went from uh, programming punch cards in binary to assembly to Fortran to C. We kept jumping levels of abstraction. And so he, so he projected that out into the future about how we were going to keep improving. Um, and the reason that the talk was interesting and, and funny even was that none of those things happened. We, we kind of stopped right, right after, we stopped improving and stopped jumping levels of abstraction right after. The, the time in which he gave the talk. So, like, the specific things he referenced, like, he was like, okay, like, punch card programmers. When punch card programmers saw assembly programmers, like, mm. that's not real programming. Like, you can't program like that. Like, you gotta use punch cards. Mm. And, the, and then, like, there are people, there are, like, a few people that, like, 
we're like, no, 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 mm. like, we really, like, like, this assembly thing is like, we're onto something here, but everyone else, like, the status quo is like, this is different, this is weird, therefore, we don't like it, like, yeah. standard human psychology. Yeah. Um, so, like, then, like, assembly became a thing, and everyone, like, was like, wait, but see, and then, like, assembly people were like, that's not real programming, you can't even do this, like, and then, like, basically, like, as, as, as soon as like, people reach a kind of a comfort level, anything that's different from that status quo is considered weird. Like, yeah. this is the same, like, all, all the way that, like, the current isms happen. Like, oh, like, you're a blah, blah, blah race, and because this blah, blah, blah race is, like, a minority in this group, like, they're weird just because they're not so many. But, like, that that's horrible. Like, it causes so many problems. Um, so, like... I think that's the that's the biggest the biggest thing that gets in the way. It's like terminal is great. What's wrong with terminal? I use yeah. terminal. What's wrong with you? Hmm. Okay, it's just like the regular human biases of like the availability heuristic. The uh, like that's the one where, oh, well, maybe that's like the wrong bias. But like the the regular human biases of like once you learn a tool, you think that that. Well, actually, I don't know if this is a human bias, but it's a common thing that uh, you think in the tools that you know. Well, there's that one, but I don't think that's the inhib- that's the largest Inhibitor. limiting factor. I think it's more about it's not the Piaget of like, like I think in terms of my current mental models. It's like anything that's different for me and what I do is bad. Yeah, um, it's something that, that I've seen. Whenever I tell people that the future of coding isn't in text, it isn't in typing, it's in more in drag and drop. Or, ooh, that was or weird. Yeah, well, it's more like oh, like that that'll never be. You know, like. I'd, or my favorite is when I when I talk to people about how much better we can make software systems, and they're like lifelong engineers, and they say, "What do you mean? They're pretty good. Like like they like they came and picture how they can right. be better." But but even when you show them something that's better, like GitHub Desktop, they're like, "I don't need GitHub Desktop." Yeah, yeah, they don't think that that, that they need it. They think, "Yeah, I'm smart enough to do it." Yeah. Right, all these really complicated SQL queries and Git commands. Because I don't like abstracted mental models. Because I like to keep everything in my head. So I actually never have a to-do list. I just write. I keep everything in like. Wait. Yeah. Okay. So cultural. You think you think the biggest the biggest obstacles here are cultural. So I think like the interesting question to ask is like for for like to investigate other areas of culture that have been able to shift independent of programming and see how they were introduced. Those types of innovations. Like for example, like. Uh, something that comes up for me is this article by Atul Gawande who wrote about um, mm. medical history where like back in the day like doctors were badasses badass white men in frock coats it's like yeah I'm a fucking doctor I have like a badass black frock coat and he's just like cut open my patients and like and, like go to my next patient I'm like yeah it's like a rock star so it's like they never clean their shit and as a result like people kept dying and people were like why the fuck are people dying like I just cut this person open and cut another person open like why is this person dying like how is like the aura of the first person being sick transferring to the second one and like they discovered like bacteria but even after bacteria was discovered people were like no I'm like a rock star like surgeon dude like like fuck bacteria bacteria are, like these little small things I'm a man like I don't need that um, and then it took like a really long time I forget how long until like people started wearing like white coats and like washing their hands and like washing your hands like who the fuck does that um, and like there's like a group in Germany who had this culture shift that like took so long for this to propagate so like I mean his, his, his answer is like shit just takes long to propagate <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah, I think what's notoriously famous about that example is he says that the way that he was able to get this culture shift was that the old doctors needed to die. 
And Did he say that? Like, not that, like, they just had to wait for them to die. Like, they didn't have to kill them. They just had, like, the old, like, that was, was said. that was how long it took. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I don't know who said this, but that's what I remember from this example, is that the culture shifted as the old doctors died and the new doctors just, like, learned it the right huh. way. That could be, like, I don't remember that. I just remember there's, like, this new group in Germany or something that, like, had this kind of culture. Like, and I think, I think we're seeing that now, right? Like, I don't think we need to wait for people to die. Like, if we look at, like, the whole, like, tech startup thing, like, maybe it's, like, like, the younger generation first started yeah. to do it, but, like, you see older people try to, like, get into it now who've never been entrepreneurs. Like, Well, I guess what I'm getting at is the kids will always do the new fun thing. Like, the, the kids don't have the culture set as much, so they'll, like, be mm. more early adopters. When you want to, like, if mm. you're wondering when will, um, Xcode be as easy to use as like well, when will Xcode be easier to use for example like you kind of have to wait for the kids who are in the new culture to cut, you know, be start running Apple you know like you, you need like if you want to know when they're going to require white coats in hospitals like the light, the leader of the hospital has to be brought up in the culture of germ theory mm. and so like the old leader of the hospital kind of has to retire he doesn't have to die but like you know like the the, the new the new culture has to come in it'd be neat if we could just change the minds of the, the people in charge now. I mean, when has that happened? If we, we, if we were to query history, either in tech or in other areas, like, like agile software development as opposed to waterfall? I don't know about that. I, I, I feel like agile software development, like people were trained in it and then they went to run companies. Yeah, that's probably the case. Yeah, it's... I don't know. Yeah. But it's one, one, one thing to, that we can end on is, like, I learned... Um, Back, back in the day, like, when after World War II, Nestle was trying to figure out how to get people to drink coffee. Have you heard about this? No. So it's like, okay, all of Japan currently doesn't like coffee. If we get everyone in Japan to drink coffee, we'll have, like, a lot more business. It's like a whole country. <laughs> um, so Nestle's like, hmm, what to do? The solution. They, like, sold coffee-flavored cookies to kids. It was, like, a kid-branded coffee cookie thing or something. Yeah. And then, like, the next... The, as, as the kids grew up, they, like, started to buy coffee. Like, holy crap. That kind of, like, large-scale social manipulation, like, blew my mind. But I think that's kind of what I would like to do with a programming tool. I'd like to build something for children that allows them to build what they want to build now and then have it just scale with them as they grow up and become older and have them, you know, use it in class and use it in hackathons and all of a sudden they're like, well, now I want to start a company. Might as well, well use I the use. same tool. Yeah, that'd, that'd be ideal. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Jonathan. It's been a great, great talking to you and we'll have you on here again soon. Thank you for having me. This is a fun conversation.